Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you all, and great to have some feedback. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much to the uh, the worship team, sounding fantastic today, and well done to you all. I normally stand at the back, but when you're at the front, you can really hear it, and uh, you were all sounding in very good voice today. So um, I've been asked to uh, talk on the next part of our series uh, in the book of James. Um, As you know, I think it was discussed at the beginning, but just in case anyone wasn't here for the first talk, it's written by James, hence the name. It's probably James, the brother of Jesus. Um, And he was, at this time, the leader in the church at Jerusalem. And it's probably one of the earliest writings in the New Testament, um, written around AD 50, perhaps, Um, And it was written, if you look at the very beginning, to the the 12 tribes scattered amongst the nations. And that gives us a little clue about the context. It wasn't one of those books that was written to a specific church or, or group of people. It was written generally to the Jewish Christians, probably just after Stephen's death, at a time when the early church had been scattered Uh, to quite a wide area, uh, as far afield as modern-day Turkey, Syria, Lebanon, and Cyprus. And so this is the pastor of the main parent church, in a sense, in Jerusalem, sending instructions and encouragement to his dispersed people, his dispersed um, parishioners, in a sense, out in quite a wide area as they're facing difficulties. So that's the context of it. And today's talk is a warning against favouritism, which is uh, it's an, an interesting one. Well, I hope you're going to find it interesting anyway. <laughs> We're going to start off, though, with something um, a little bit different. I always think it's a shame when it's, um, we only do fun, interesting things during the uh, all-age services, so we're going to start with something a little different now. Um, We can't really talk about favouritism without talking about favourites. Everyone's got favourites. I expect you guys do. And we all have different favourites because we've all been made differently. Thanks very much, Pete. God has made us all different, and therefore we all like and have passions and different interests. And finding out a little about someone's favourites, their passions and interests, is a good way of finding out a bit little about them. So I'd like to invite up my willing volunteer, Simon, who we're going to find out a little bit more about today. Good morning, Simon. Morning. Is that, are we working? Yes. Hooray. <laughs> Thank you very much for agreeing to do this. So I'm just going to ask some quick, quick fire questions to Simon, uh, and you can just give us the first thing that comes into your head regarding which is your favourite. Okay. okay? <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't warned me about these. <laughs> uh, tea or coffee? Tea. Croissant or bacon sandwich? Bacon sandwich. <laughs> uh, the Beatles or the Rolling Stones? Beatles. 
Uh, Elton John or Ed Sheeran? Ed Sheeran. <laughs> okay. Uh, football or cricket? Football. <laughs> Bike or book? Book. Uh, Jurassic Park or Star Wars? Star Wars. <laughs> well, Marvel or DC? Marvel. <laughs> uh, Grand Prix or Wimbledon? Grand Prix. <laughs> uh, Lord, Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter? Gosh. <laughs> the hardest one, yeah. <laughs> Lord of the Rings. Okay. Uh, Paddington Bear or James Bond? <laughs> now, that might seem like an odd pairing, but they are both... British cultural icons, both of whom have now done skits with Her Majesty. So, I return to my question, Your Honour. Paddington Bear or James Bond? James Bond. Okay. <laughs> That's great. Um, can I now have my, uh, my glamorous assistant? We've got one last thing for you. Now, I've... It, this is still about favourites, don't worry. i bring Zach and Grace up. No. <laughs> I am not that cruel, Simon. Okay. Um, I've always fancied doing um, a, a comparison. Like, you know, do you remember the Pepsi challenge that they used to do on TV adverts? So I've got a little, a little challenge for you now. I hope this is all right. I haven't warned you about this bit. So if you're fasting today, tell me and I'll get another, I'll get another victim. Um, so. Thank you very much. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. There we go. So, we had a we had a barbecue yesterday, and I purposefully kept a couple of burgers left over, but they're both different. So, I have reheated them. You're okay. There we go. So, I would like you to try, if you like, with ketchup. Uh, each of the burgers. I'll take that, and you can. Give us a couple of words about each if you like, and then um, tell us which you prefer, which is your favourite. But maybe just have small pieces, otherwise we're going to be watching you chewing for ages. <laughs> Tastes like a beef burger. Excellent, good. It's a good start. Do you have a favourite? The first one. The first one. <laughs> Round of applause for Simon. <laughs> Super. So we're now going to move on to our passage, and uh, I've got a willing volunteer. We're going to come back to the burgers, don't worry. Um, <laughs> I've got a willing volunteer to read it for us. So if you'd like to open your Bibles, if you have them, 
Um, and it's John chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 13. Sorry, I said that wrong, didn't I? James. I have. I'm very sorry. I hope I haven't done this all the way through the presentation. It's definitely James. I have. I've prepared the correct passage. James chapter 2, 1 to 13. husband. (laughs) Okay, James chapter 2. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand over there or Sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. It is not the ri- is it is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favouritism, your sin, you, 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 you sin and are convicted by the law as law breakers for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it for he who said do not commit adultery also said do not commit murder if you do not commit adultery but do commit murder you have become a law breaker speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Thanks, that's great. So so in this passage, James talks uh, about the rich and the poor, but it's really about all forms of discrimination. It's about, just as much, I think, about uh, gender and race and age and disability and uh, the way we treat people who are just different from us, perhaps. And almost everyone in the world would um, recognise that that's wrong, treating people differently, if they were asked. <laughs> Um, believers and non-believers. Humans, uh, all of us, have a very strong sense of fairness from an early age. And I'm sure any of you who've spent time with uh, toddlers will, uh, will have heard the phrase, it's not fair. Because we, as, as humans, have a very strong sense of fairness, what's right and wrong. So discrimination, treating people differently is clearly wrong, and yet there's still so much of it about. In spite of this, this was written 
2,000 years ago or so. And yet just recently we have Black Lives Matter and the Me Too movement. And we're still struggling with a gender pay gap, even in a country that is quite progressive and, and prides itself on equality. Mankind hasn't solved this yet. And, uh, you know, as a church, have we as well? I don't know. The last verse of the previous chapter, James calls on his readers uh, to keep from being polluted by the world. And so all this time later, um, we still need to focus on avoiding this particular type of worldly behaviour. We're followers of Christ and we should be able to do better and to see people as he sees them. So the, the passage breaks up quite nicely into two sections. If you've still got your, your Bibles open, you'll be able to see. Um, the first part, verses um, 1 to 7, um, we're going to call the sin of partiality. And then the second part we're going to talk about in a moment. Partiality is a funny word. It's not really one that I've come across much before, but it's the opposite of being impartial, which maybe we use a lot more commonly. Um, and of course, people pride themselves on being impartial, especially um, judges and lawyers and um, and policemen as well, many other members of society. It's all about treating people fairly. Um, but I think you can pretty much exchange it for favouritism as well, um, about having favourites and the way, we, the way we treat people we come across. So just in the first verse, James starts off by calling his readers brothers. It's inclusive. We're all part of the same, the same church family. And it's more of a plea than an order, I think. Brothers, please do this. It's not, and maybe it's not just you, his readers, who have a problem. It's us. Perhaps by using brothers, he's sort of including himself in that, but it's something he also struggles with. He then goes on to, um, to talk about the fact that it's because they're believers in, um, in Jesus Christ, that this is a particular issue. We're called to be different from the world and um, those who follow Jesus. And we're meant to follow his example. Um, but in spite of this, the, the fellowship of believers that he was writing to still had a, had a problem with this. And maybe this church still does today at times. So after James has given his initial um, instruction, uh, he gives an example. Suppose a man, I'm going to paraphrase, suppose a man comes into our morning service wearing a really, really smart suit, nice haircut, Rolex watch. Suppose another man comes in who maybe looks and perhaps smells as if he hasn't had a wash for a while, and doesn't have many clothes to choose between if they're all looking a bit worn out. How would we treat them 
if they came into our church this morning. This photo I found whilst having a look online, it's quite an interesting one. Um, It's a, a man sitting on the steps of a church in Liverpool. What is not so obvious, unless I tell you, is that this is actually the vicar of that church in Liverpool. He dressed up like this and sat there minding his own business on a Sunday morning as his parishioners walked past to see what would happen. Um, And um, he actually got into the newspapers. This is taken from the Metro. uh, And there's another photo of him in his normal, uh, normal attire, if you like, next to it. Annoyingly, it doesn't say what happened. I'd love to know. (laughs) Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom? I don't know if any of you have been fortunate enough to spend any time abroad, perhaps in countries that aren't quite so, um, so rich, so developed as us, maybe countries in Africa or, or so on. Um, but uh, Christians in other countries, um, it certainly fits with this statement. Um, the, the churches in Africa are bold and confident and full of faith and hope, and they're loud and noisy and passionate And their services go on for way longer than ours. (laughs) Um, Jesus valued the poor, and he spent time with the marginalised in society. And I think the the poor are still blessed, in a way, by God um, in, in different ways. But if you think of the way that Jesus spoke about and treated um, the the poor, the different in society. He spent time with tax collectors, those who are ill with leprosy, uh, prostitutes. Uh, he, he made a point of saying that his followers should look after widows and orphans, so the, those who don't have a safety net of a family to look after them. So that's, by definition, they would have been poor. In the... Um, The story of the sheep and the goats, he talks about um, every time you feed the hungry, every time you visited someone in prison, every time you clothed the naked, um, whatever you do for the least of these, you were doing for me. And then in, in Luke 6, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. It's quite difficult to hear when um, all of us, irrespective of our salaries, live in a wealthy Western country, and uh, all of us, whether it feels like it at the moment with the cost of living crisis or not, we're all in the top 5% of, um, of wealth worldwide. So valuing the rich and discriminating against the poor or any other group that the world seems to value less is illogical and and inconsistent with with following Jesus. Uh, 
Because the, the problem is that when we treat people differently um, according to their financial situation or their race or their gender or any other thing that, that we can see about them from the outside, we're making a judgment. We're making a decision about who that person is by what we can see on the outside. And it's the worst type of judgment because we're making a judgment without knowing everything because we're only looking at the outward appearance. Whereas God, of course, he sees everything. He can see who that person is on the inside. There's this lovely passage, isn't there, in, um, in 1 Samuel, where um, Samuel is uh, told by God to anoint the next king. And he sends him to uh, the family of Jesse, in Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So Samuel, being a, a good godly man, he goes there and he looks at the brothers in turn and they are strong and strapping and wise and handsome and, and God rejects each of them in turn. He rejects seven brothers. Nope, not that one. Nope, don't want him. Until... Uh, Samuel has to ask Jesse, I'm really sorry, God said that I have to anoint one of your sons, but he's turned down all of your sons that you've shown me. Are you sure you haven't got any others? And of course, David is the youngest, presumably the smallest if he was youngest, least experienced in life, tending the sheep. That's why he wasn't there. And in this period of time, shepherds, it wasn't a glamorous job. It wasn't a high-status job. The shepherds are um, the, I don't know, I don't want to insult road sweepers and bin men, but you know what I mean. It was a relatively low-status job, being a shepherd. And David was out there in the field looking after the flock. And yet he's the one that God chose because he could see the inside. The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so whenever we make, make judgments about the people that we come across, we're doing exactly the same thing that Samuel was, uh, was, was guilty of although, all that time ago, of assuming that God would want the one who looks right. But there is a better way. And this is the second part of the passage, 8 to 13. And that better way is, um, is about trying to see people God's way. We're not being salt and light, and we're not being countercultural. If we're making judgments about people from their outward appearance, if we're having favourites in the way we deal with people that we come across. We're aligning with the standards of the world where, by and large, the rich get a better deal. And also, we're not gaining the respect amongst the wealthy and the powerful uh, by being different. I think it's um, one of the things that you hear from time to time 
you very rarely hear complaints about the church being too radical. But you do sometimes hear complaints about the church being hypocritical. I mean, the, the wider church, not us in particular. Um, but you know what I mean? I think um, people respect um, individuals and groups who have um, strong feelings and um, strong feelings, strong uh, attitudes and, and stick to them. Um, and so maybe we're, we would, um, by having favourites and by not treating people equally, we are portraying the church as worldly. And that harms everybody. It harms the rich, in a sense, who are getting treatment that maybe they don't deserve. It certainly harms the poor, who are certainly getting less than they deserve. And it harms the church because of our our reputation and the, the way it appears that we are to outsiders. Now we... We all know um, these words, love your neighbour as yourself. And it's a quote that James uses here. And of course it's from um, Matthew 22, when Jesus is asked by one of the teachers of the law, uh, what's the greatest commandment? And of course he says to to love God and to love your neighbour as yourself. And it's also very similar, of course, to that section in Matthew 7, Matthew 7, verse 12, where he says, do to others as you would have them do to you. This sums up all the law and the prophets. But Jesus didn't make these things up. He's quoting. He's quoting from Leviticus 19, which is one of the um, central important sections that um, the Jews used for their laws regarding interactions between people. And so, of course, it would have been very familiar, this quote, to the the Jewish Christians who this letter was written to, because they would have known it very, very well. It's part of the Torah, part of the core five books of the Jewish Bible. And it's known by some people as the royal law because it was seen as supreme, to love your neighbour as yourself, in that, basically, it summarises all of the other laws about human interaction that Leviticus spends quite a lot of verses going over in much more detail. And so treating people differently and showing favouritism is making a mockery of God's law. Um, Not only just any old law, it's the royal law, the one that all of the other laws regarding how we treat each other come from. And so partiality, favoritism, discrimination, whatever word you want to use, it's a sin. It's a sin because we're falling short of, um, of God's standards. And as everyone knows, sin requires judgment. But James tells us there at the end of the passage that we do have some good news as well in this, that mercy triumphs over judgment, which is such great news, isn't it? Hallelujah. <laughs> Except for one thing. And I thought, I thought you might see that there's a catch coming. We've got to be consistent. 
if we would want mercy from God, um, then um, we must show mercy to others. Because if we're discriminating against the poor and the weak or disabled or people who aren't like us, then we're failing to show them mercy. We're failing to give them the benefit of the doubt and allow God to see who they really are. And so if mercy triumphs over judgment, then mercy should triumph over our worldly discrimination and our judgment of others. So um, this week, maybe we could see people God's way and see them as part of his uh, perfect creation. Uh, See them as those who he thought, like us, were worth saving. And see them as those that he shows mercy to, and that therefore he shows mercy to us as well, and we should reflect that and be merciful. And I'm going to come back to my burgers. You see, it's the, um, it's the inside that counts, not the outward appearance. I've got my two burgers here. On the outside, they both look like a burger. When I cooked them, they both sizzled like a burger. They both smelt pretty much the same. Now, Simon had a favourite, but, you know, that's fine. I asked him to choose one. But the fact is, they are very, very different from each other because uh, one of them is a beef burger and one is a meat-free, plant-based burger. And yes, he did choose the beef burger. (laughs) But... uh, But the meat-free alternatives are getting um, very impressive. If you'd like to come and try it, I'll get some knives and forks out later. Um, (laughs) But it's uh, it's not about the outward appearance. It's it's about seeing what people are made of, just like we're seeing what the finding out what the burger is made of. And we need to learn to see people God's way and treat them God's way too. Thanks.